I grew up in a small town, Salisbury, Pennsylvania, about 700 people. Small towns usually go one of two ways. Either they have gossip and no one has any privacy, like Salisbury, or you have Stradbally. Those guys can really keep a secret. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your host. Christy and Scott. Hey, it's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm creeped out. <laughs> Scott's doing uncomfortable things with slothy. <laughs> I'm making him rub his own nipples. <laughs> he's a sloth, but okay. Do um, well, he's, that's nipples? why he's doing it slowly. They're mammals. They'd have to. Where? I'm imagining it's kind of like. I'm going to have to look up a video of this. <laughs> <laughs> I I bet they follow the rule of nipples. There is an actual rule of There's nipples a rule for of mammals. Nipples. Of course there is. There's a rule of nipples. How many are cats? Well, how many how many babies are in an average litter is the number of nipples divided by half. So humans usually have one child, two nipples. Cats usually have uh 4 to 5, eight nipples. So there is an actual rule of nipples. The number of average children double the nipples. Good to know. <laughs> so, how's everybody's week? <laughs> Mine's been hellish. Uh, I came home. I came home Tuesday night, and I, I love my cats. I have five cats, and I came home Tuesday night, and one of my cats. I, I'm guessing he had a heart attack and had passed away, right in his favorite spot in the kitchen. So that's it's been a rough week. I am woefully underprepared. I'm just going to warn everybody. And this week, it's my week to do the old timey crimey. It's just going to be all over the fucking place. But I'm here, so yes. yay! I've got something in both my eyes. <laughs> I have something in only one eye, and I'm going to find out what it is at 11:15 tomorrow morning when I go to the eye doctor for the third time. In a week and a half. Your life is just a series of eye doctor's appointments. It really is. That's all it is. I feel like we need to punch Amber in the eye just so, like, I'm crying. No. You're weeping from an injury. No, you remember my kid scratched my cornea this this last year. No, like, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I'm good on eye. So I have, I have stories for you guys. So uh, Max, my two-year-old, used fuck in a sentence correctly. Oh. Hey, well, there we go. Good. Vocabulary. Because he insists he's the baby. And he's like, but I... I only two. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to be three. And he goes, three. Fuck three. And threw his bubbles down and stormed off. Oh my God. And so that, like, I, that is correct usage. I'm it impressed. is. It's correct. So I was like, I'm not even going to be mad about this. And he was, he really meant it too. So I was just like, all right, no, I'm good with that. Um, second story is I took the kids to Chuck E. Cheese. What the fuck? Why do you keep doing this? Because they love it. They love it so much. And, and Max got brave this time, right? So he climbed to the tippy top of, of the the play yard thing. It's like four little stories up. The right? rat tower. And so up at the top, there's a slide to go down, right? But he his bravery got lost at the top. So he made it to the top, and that's where we stopped. And this is built for six-year-olds. So I cannot fit up to the top to get him down. And he is now paralyzed in fear, mm. right? So I send Kennedy, my four-year-old, up to get him down. And she's showing him, like, how to get down the slide. And she goes down the slide, and he's terrified. He won't do it. And so she gets down to the bottom from the slide and goes, Mommy, I have to pee. So I have a child stuck at the top, and it's netting. So everybody can see and hear him. 
and I have to leave him there to take the other one to the bathroom. So now I've abandoned him. <laughs> to be fair, you've abandoned him in a spot where you know he's not going to leave. <laughs> yes, yes. He's, he's not going to leave, but it's, it's like you had to make the choice. Do I leave him for a minute or do I let her pee on the floor in the middle of a Chuck E. Cheese? You made the right choice. So I've now abandoned him, though. So it turned into sobbing and hysterical screaming. Right? So I come back out of the bathroom and there is now a crowd of parents. Oh my god. Around this jungle gym, judging the shit out of me because I've abandoned him up at the top. And I'm like, well, I my ass is too big. Like I can't fit up there. It's fucking Johnstown. Half oh of those gosh. parents are gonna be dead of heroin overdoses in a week and a half. <laughs> oh sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. But it was it was ridiculous. And the the only way I could get him down, I, I sent the four year old back up. I'm like, just put him in a headlock and rip him down. I don't care. And she couldn't get a hold of him. He was like kicking at her. And so I, I get my hand wedged underneath the bar, and as soon as he could hold my hand, he just climbs right down. <laughs> and so my wrist is, is very damaged now, but he was perfectly happy with that. And I was like, are you, this, this lasted half an hour. I'm like, never again, never again. This is not going to happen. <laughs> well, someone who didn't abandon his child at a slide at Chuck E. Cheese is the missing <laughs> postman of Strad Valley. That's the best segue I could come up with. You're right. <laughs> I, am, I am technically correct. So, yes, this week we are talking about the missing postman of Strad Valley. That is one Larry Griffin. Now, he uh, a little bit about, not too much about Strad Valley. There's not a whole ton about it. But it's a small village in southeast Ireland. The name comes from, and I did look up pronunciation on this, and I'm going to do my absolute best. On uh, which uh, basically means one street town, <laughs> which is kind of great. I like that. They're just being honest, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. It's right there in the name. This is a one street town. Uh, so uh, everybody really loved Larry. Uh, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was really super manly and all about the chivalry. He was a war hero. He loved to talk. He was born in 1880 in Waterford, Ireland. Uh, at age 19, he joined the military, was a bombardier in the British Army until 1907, served in India. He was what? A bombardier. Bombardier? Bombardier. See, I'm saying bombardier. I was saying bombardier, too. I've always but said we are bombardier. Not fancy. Bombard- well, okay, so I, I put, I put a, a pronunciation bombardier. I may have still been saying it wrong, Bombard- with the, the the emphasis on the D. Okay. Bombardier. Bombardier. But I was I, I was, like that so much better. Though. I do. I was yeah. saying it differently in my head until I looked up the pronunciation. I do. Now in the in the current parlance, a bombardier. Okay, I think now I'm saying it right. Uh, is one who cites and releases bombs. But back then, since, you know, it was 1899, it was probably more cannons than bombs. He was probably, because in the in the British and Canadian usage, um, it's a, a non-commissioned officer that's about the same rank as a corporal. So there's your, your random old-timey military <laughs> trivia for the week. There you go. This guy, he was, he was kind of a badass. He, he was. He really was. This is not the kind of guy you want to fuck with. At any age, really, because this is a man who'd left part of himself on the battlefield, several parts of himself. Yeah, he a was, that wasn't until World War One. Yeah, World War One. In between that, before that, he married Mary Fitzgerald. Yes, 
who was known as the loveliest lady in the county. And so she they were a beautiful couple. And she had to make do with only part of a man. Yeah. <laughs> she married a whole man, and then he came back with parts exactly. missing. Yeah. So, but not the important part. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. true yeah. It's not the red badge of courage, everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he in 1914, when World War One broke out, he rejoined the military, which... You gotta give props for having been in the military and then rejoining for the cause of, of war. Because I think once in the military is like, damn, I'm good. I'm good. This is an experience I do not need to have again. I like to think Larry's like, hot damn, I get to kill people again. Yeah, I think that was, he definitely has a different attitude than I would. <laughs> He's Irish. I, oh man, it was just like, I was just sitting back last week and going, if I could just kill one more foreigner. And now it looks like my dreams are coming true a hundredfold. <laughs> my time to shine. Time to get that necklace of ears I've always wanted. <laughs> so he served in South Africa and France. In 1916, he was discharged because, as Scott said, there was some parts of him missing or uh, not working as well. His arm was damaged. He lost some of his, uh, he lost some of his ear and several teeth. I actually, I got one that said that his arm was actually shot to pieces, oh. is how it was described. Yeah, Just, that's, arm damaged is definitely downplaying that. We, we can't, we can't really put it back together, but we can reshape it like ground chuck. And that's kind of what I imagine. He had like this just deformed arm. It was like, this is cool. Yeah, I'm okay with this. Whatever. Can I still punch people with it? Flam! <laughs> yep, I'm good! <laughs> in 1918, he was the recipient of the British War Medal and the Victory Medal. I did a little looking around about these two, and the most interesting thing I found is that the British War Medal has St. George naked on a horse on the back of it. Because. Because. Why the fuck not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're Nothing this... says manly like naked on a horse. Exactly. Yes. Except for that Lady Godiva thing, but whatever. Well, you know, <laughs> that's womanly. Yeah. yeah. There you go. yeah. Come, on, come on. I mean, that's that's like a painting people masturbated to for a long time, Lady Godiva. <laughs> naked on a true. horse is apparently a trend. <laughs> it's a thing. I don't know <laughs> how it works, but it's a thing. So uh, he goes back to uh, the town of Kilmac Thomas, which is right up the road from Stroud Valley. It's got the word kill in it. I need to live there. <laughs> right. And they actually, it, it sometimes I believe is abbreviated to Kilmac or shortened to Kilmac. I like to think he just showed up one day, kicked down the door to City Hall. Where's, where's Mac Thomas? I got a job to do. No, like, do you ever wonder, though, if it wasn't named that because they hated some guy named Mac Thomas? Well, I think kill is a frequent uh, prefix. Sorry. Sorry. I'm ruining it with linguistics. Uh, so keep your logic over there. He and his wife, Mary. Uh, they uh, eventually they have three children two of them survive and he is working yes that is actually a point of contention I found a few different sources that he had four children one of them died and three of them lived until at least after him one of them then it would be missing from his uh, the, the the grave site of Mary that eventually yeah which I thought I actually was really found bizarre the, the grave and, you know, spoiler alert, it was, you know, many, many years ago, so she's dead. Um, but, Spoilers, yeah. everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. They do list um, the children, so we may as well talk about them now. Uh, they don't have their birth dates, but we have Alice, Chrissy, and Jack. Uh, Alice would die in on October 4th, 1934. Chrissy died 10 years before that on February 21st, 1924. And Jack made it to 1983. It's... It's a thing. I'm I'm fairly certain that I'm going to be stricken from the Mort family records. My 
My surviving brothers and my sister don't really like me. My parents and I got along great. My parents and I loved each other. Sorry. It's my brothers and sisters that hate me. So I'm sure that like down the down the down the years, if something famous ever happens with my mom or dad, it'll be like, well, they had five children or four. We're not certain. The records show this this Scott Mort. <laughs> <laughs> we, it may or may not be related. So you think that, like, Jack, the only one who made it past 1934, was just like, you know, there was that one kid. <laughs> yes. And he may or may not be alive. I'm not telling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's completely plausible. But you know what? They, they didn't talk about child loss back then. And even in my parents' day, they didn't. Because, like, I'm still confused about how many siblings I had. I'm an adult. And I'm either the baby of six or maybe seven. It's kind of iffy because there could have been a first child and I'm not really sure. So like, it's, it's one of those things. It's just, it's not talked about, mm. and especially if it was like a still, a stillborn or something. Like, do you count that one? Do you not count that one? We're only like two or three generations away from having the crazy uncle Steve hidden in the basement or the attic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, uh, kill Mac, I should note, uh, <laughs> So trying to find interesting things about these places. <laughs> Former Lord of the Dance dancer Jillian Norris lives there. And Hear this? That's her dancing. Yeah. She's here now. <laughs> she also has Thank a salon and a spa, so if you could make some hair cutting noises. <laughs> no, no, putting your fingers up to the mic and pretending that they're scissors is not actually going to do the that's, trick. That's as good as it gets. I don't want to turn this into another ASMR video. Yeah. <laughs> So he becomes, uh, Larry Griffin becomes the postman in Stradbally, which is three miles down the road, or eight, or 11. It really depends on where you looked. It was so right? weird. I'm like, we have maps. Like, I don't I don't know why this is in contention. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all know from last week, my anger from last week, Salisbury is either 28 miles to Somerset or 12. <laughs> that is true. That is true. They could have, you know, put a little bypass in mm -hmm. there at some point. So... Uh, the role of the postman was really interesting in, in the, the times before the internet. He was the social media, essentially. He, you know, like, he probably knows everybody's business. He gets all the gossip. Um, and it's just, it's a ubiquitous role. Everybody has one. And they worked even on Christmas Day. And the tradition was, on Christmas Day, you give the postman a, a, a drink, or you invite him in for dinner, you give him a few bucks, you know, he's working on Christmas Day, he's delivering those last minute presents or whatever. And so, on Christmas Day 1929, uh, Larry Griffin first takes some presents over for the neighbor's kids, and then he hops on his bicycle and heads to work to, you know, deliver more, more mail and Christmas stuff. No, he went to church, though, too. Yes, he went to Mass, yes. Of, well, of course. Good boy. Good <laughs> boy. And so he would have with him uh, the, 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 the accoutrement of the, the postman, his mailbag, of course, uh, a waterproof cover, overalls, and a cape. Some of this is come, going to come into play later. I love the fact that he also had his post office issue bicycle. Yes, yes, the bicycle. That's <laughs> adorable. <laughs> and probably deadly. He, like, I just picture him like, well, okay, uh, we'll mount the machine gun someplace. <laughs> so we know that he had, um, he was invited in and had two dinners on his route. Hell yeah! He had some drinks, we don't really know the number. And so he finishes his route, or possibly just part of his route, because there was some stuff that was undelivered later. We'll get there. He heads back to the post office, and he 
doesn't go home. He never arrives home on Christmas night. And Mary just assumes, well, you know, it's Christmas Day. He's the postman. He's probably drunk. <laughs> and I'm guessing she's actually quite used to him getting drunk and not coming home because she's like, no, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever it's hard to tell your husband's arm from the meatloaf you're cooking, you, you allow him to get drunk every once in a while. Yeah. Especially on Christmas Day. Exactly. He's working on Christmas Day, and it is, it's, the tradi- it's the tradition. So no wonder she would be, you know, used to it. This is, this is probably every year, Christmas Day. Well, yeah, he's not coming home. He's going to sleep it off somewhere in town. So that's what she thinks. And we're going to celebrate Christmas on his next day off. Well, they probably had done some celebrating. Yeah. You know, hopefully. <laughs> I, I sure hope. She's talking about fucking. <laughs> he's they talking had about fucking. Kids. So at uh, 7.30 a.m. Uh, the next day, his bicycle is found on the road. Uh, now, this is, it's found between Strad Valley and Kilmac, and it's pointed towards Kilmac as if he was going home. And, but it sort of looked kind of weird the way it was placed. It looked like it had been done, you know, in a very purposeful, deliberate manner. It was like three feet from the curb. And it just, something about it just didn't strike people as right. And uh, the man who found the bicycle, he knew Larry, as everybody did. Uh, he started asking around, and eventually the Gardaí were brought in. Now, those are the uh, policemen in Ireland. So if it's, we're going to be going back and forth. If it's plural, it's Gardaí. If it's uh, singular, it's Garda. So one is Garda, two or more, Gardaí. Uh, so they get a search party going. They get Gardaí from towns all around the area. Um, people, I mean, this is kind of becomes a big thing. They even get, like, about 100 civilians. And, of course the postmen band together to help search, which I find, I like the, the, the brotherhood, yeah. like the, the, the air of fraternity about this. He's one of them, you know? We're going we're gonna to search for one of our own. It's nice. Hmm. You guys have nothing to say about this. No, because I know what happens, and so maybe uh, the brotherhood isn't the best thing. Well, the, this brotherhood is fine. They didn't have yeah, anything they're to do with fine. <laughs> yeah. Some brotherhoods might have some problems here. Um, so, when what's... Uh, good about the postman being there is they were able to kind of clue into something. They uh, they saw the bike and they were like, there's a red flag here. Pause for laughter. <laughs> red flag, the flag you raise on your mailbox. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of lame jokes. I don't, I don't have a mailbox like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like mine is just that you stick the letters in so they're hanging out. So I don't have a red flag. So it took me a minute. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. So the postman were like, the way that his belongings, his, his, his bag, his cape and everything, is arranged on the bike is what we would call unpostman-like. <laughs> this is very unpostman-like. This is unpostman-like. Look at these goddamn stamps every which way. The cape was apparently folded up in a way that would make it crack. What the hell was it made of is my question. What do you make? Are you making a capes of eggshells or glass? So <gasps> maybe some sort if of it's a wa- if it's a waterproof cape, because I, I imagine it might be you know it might be a waterproof cape because I think they actually said waterproof cape. Have you noticed? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, That's well, kind let's of say point. it one more time. Waterproof, waterproof cape. cape. I'm sure it's some sort of plastic lining, and it may have been oh, older. Yeah, that's true. So if you roll it like like a paper towel roll, it's probably less likely to crack than if you fold okay. it. That makes a lot like of you sense. Like you would have, you like you would a flag. That's very very logical. 
I went straight to eggshells. Um, so the where the bike was found, this was a very boggy area. There were marshlands everywhere. Um, so they they looked around there a lot because they thought that maybe he'd fallen into a hole in the bog. There was also a lot of abandoned mine shafts. Uh, apparently, uh, copper mining was very big in the area in the 1800s for about 50 years or so. So, but then you know, after something like that dies off, you have what do you know? A whole bunch of abandoned mine shafts. You know, and it's a possible thing. He's been drinking all night. You stumble, he, you, you fall. Well, not just that. You pull over to the side of the road. You're a dude. You're taking a piss. There you go. Yeah. I think so many crimes can be solved with the he's taking a piss, <laughs> or at least is a major clue. Going back to the Quentin witchcraft. I was trials. just gonna say yeah. that was your solution to the Quentin witchcraft. Here, here you have the strongest fuck guy, who and he he's been murdered, and they think oh his flies down. What the hell's up with that? The dude was out doing gardening. He took a piss. Here's the thing, though. Okay, so he he crawled in the post office after his route. And that was at, I believe, 7 p.m. Like he was supposed to do. That was like part he was of the routine. Six thirty, seven 6.30, 7 o'clock, he had called in the post office like he was supposed to do. And then at 4 a.m., somebody drove on that road and his bike was not there. Yeah. At 4 a.m. And then all of a sudden at 7.30 a.m., there it is. So there's a three and a half hour spot there during which, you know, it definitely didn't show up immediately after his, his route is essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. So on December 27th, word, like, this kind of becomes a big thing. They send word up the chain, and uh, Waterford Chief Superintendent Harry O'Mara, he comes down, and he starts asking some questions. He's So Harry O'Mara was described as a no-bullshit super cop yeah. that was given the authority to use any means necessary to find out what happened to Larry. I will punch everything in the throat to find out what happened. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. this guy just sounds like, like RoboCop. Like, well, who, he the, just sounds like... who the fuck are you gonna send out to find, like, like goddamn Rambo here? You're gonna send out a super cop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this, uh, this no-bullshit super cop is 33. He's been in the Garda for seven years, so really, actually, since around the beginning. They started around uh, 1922. He's, he's just about celebrating his, his seven-year anniversary. He questions a sergeant and four guardy. Uh, so this would be sergeant, and I'm probably going to pronounce some things wrong here, Kulanane. I like to think it's Kulanani. Uh, see, I was wondering if that was that was my other option. Because, you know, we're talking about, you know, that part of the world where it's Hondahara. <laughs> so Sergeant Kulanani. Kulanani. And Guardi Dolea, Frawley, Murphy, and Sullivan. At least those last three were easy. Um, and they all say the same thing. They saw, yeah, we saw Griffin, but we never saw him leave the village. And he was not drunk at all. Dude was walking a straight line. He was definitely not puking. He was totally sober. Everything was fine. The postman was not drunk on Christmas Day. Which nobody believed. <laughs> yeah, because everybody else in town was like, yeah, he was a little trash. I imagine. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. These, uh, like the people that he worked with probably don't know what he's like drunk. Because I, I picture this guy as like, get in, get your fucking job done, go the hell home, get drunk with your wife. Bang the wife, go to bed, <laughs> eat a meal. But the That's villagers... That's a weird series of events. <laughs> Is he eating in bed? Yes. <laughs> Bang Don't your you? wife, go to bed, eat a meal. <laughs> yes. Come on. Second dinner. Anyway. 
But the villagers knew what he was like, mm-hmm. intoxicated, because he'd done this before. So they might they might go, oh, hey, yeah, he was a little toasted. This episode of Old Timey Crimey is sponsored by Podcorn. So, Scott. Yo. Did you know it's been uh, about a year since we started? We are about to start recording episode 52. I know. <laughs> I know. It was, it's been quite a year. It's been quite a year. And with that new year coming comes uh, the new hosting bills for the next year, for 2020. And you know what's really helping with that? I'm guessing Podcorn. Podcorn is really helping with that. The revenue that we get from doing sponsorships with brands really is helping to make podcasting more possible for us. And we love podcasting. And guess what? We also love Podcorn. Now, if you podcast and you don't know about Podcorn, it's a marketplace that connects podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities like host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn will support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work you do for brands. I really find it just so satisfying to scroll through all the sponsorships and pick the ones that are right for us. Not only that, think of the friendships that we've made. We've made friends with a lot of different companies, good companies, companies that I really feel strongly about. Click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. That's Podcorn. Get paid to do what you love. So, um... We did say he had he had called back at the the post office like he was supposed to, but one source I found said his normal route had not been completed, as I alluded to earlier. Um, there were homes between where the bicycle was found and Stradbally where he was supposed to pick up mail and the mail had not been picked up. So I imagine that possibly the chain of events maybe was you stop at the post office, check back in, uh, deliver any mail that you picked up on your way, run, you know, on your way home, you pick up the mail uh, and then you bring it back the next day. Yeah. You know, essentially. I'm, that's my guess. Rampant speculation. <laughs> Rampant speculation. I wanted to draw it out. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. You're welcome. So on January 6th, uh, Father O'Shea comes forward because of course it's Father O'Shea. I spent all of me money. We we took the collection plate. We were going to get a surgery for young Timmy so he can walk again. But it was close to Halloween, and I decided to spend it all on silver bullets because werewolves. Scott. Yeah? Are they after your lucky charms? They are. (laughs) They're always after me lucky charms. Bastards. I'll plug them five in the eyes with goddamn silver bullets. Irish people must hate that yep. <laughs> So he comes forward and he says, the Guardi are covering something up. And what you need to do is you need to go and talk to John Power. It is a 16-year-old gentleman, uh, local local boy. Everybody is ridiculously named or overpowered in this. <laughs> yes. Let's see. Super cop, military war hero who was blew apart and put back together, and a 16-year-old man named John Power. <laughs> So they interviewed John Power, and he says, well, I was hanging out by Wayland's Pub. Put a pin in that on the map, BTW. Yep. And uh, I saw Larry Griffin and Garda Dulea, who was one of the ones who was questioned we mentioned earlier, by the post office around 6.30 p.m. on Christmas Day. Dulea was walking Larry's bike while Larry just puked everywhere. And then Power was like, I hung out for around an hour longer. 
it was a power hour. Oh. I'm not going to lie. I did laugh to myself when I came up with that. <laughs> I'm a dork. Um, and I, he's like, I hung out for an hour and I never saw either of them return in this direction. Now, real quick, does anyone else think the father of Shay, somebody went and confessed something to him and he was like, I, I gotta at least push him in the right direction. That has to be it because he yeah. refused to say anything further. He All he would do is direct them to John Power and say, he will tell you, but he could, like, they, they were like, father, just tell us what we're looking for. And he was like, nope, 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 go, go see John Power. <laughs> now, Power's account was confirmed by the three men he was with. And I like to think, like, one of the guys was there, yeah, then uh, Power left and he went and fucked my wife. I'm not even mad about it. Yeah. I mean, he fucked He's her good. He's 16. <laughs> yeah, he fucked her good. Jesus Christ. Her vagina looked like a punch lasagna after he was done with it. Jesus Christ. He's 16. He's not fucking anybody good. <laughs> John fucking Power. I don't Power. care what his name is. That name's a lot to live up to. Yeah. He, he's got some growing into it. <laughs> so they bring Gardy Delea back in and he says, well, yeah, it was with Griffin. I just walked with him for about, you know, 50 yards or so. But, you know, when you asked me before, I didn't say anything because, quote, I didn't think it was of any importance. So the disappeared guy. You... He also said that Larry wasn't drunk. Yes, he continues his Larry's not drunk line. I like to think maybe Larry just retched. You know, that was part of his daily routine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I want to. I want the uh, number three uh, with a dying <laughs> Coke and onion rings. You really drew that out, didn't you? So he says, well, you know, when, when I left Larry, I was going back to Whalen's pub. I was going to meet up with Sissy Whalen. She's the daughter of the uh, owner of Whalen's pub. Now, uh, uh, the owner of a pub is uh, also known as a publican. <laughs> so my question was, if you own a bar, sell it, and then here, buy it back. Here it comes. I knew it was coming. Are you a Republican? <laughs> I'm sorry. You should have seen when I came up with that joke, and Jackson was out, like, doing the recycle, and I was like, come back in. Come back in. I need to tell you my stupid joke. <laughs> I need a fucking drink. You want some rum? I got it. Here. Yes. <laughs> if I wasn't pulled over by the cops as much as I am on this road, I totally would. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I had to! Christy, I'm going to blame you for my alcoholism. <laughs> well, you know, why do you drink so much? Christy's bad jokes. <laughs> you know, I have to have some accomplishments in life, and if it's making you an alcoholic, then I guess I'll take it. Well, I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. I don't think it took very much. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like a paint-by-numbers thing. It's pretty much all done for you. You just need to fill it in. Yeah. <laughs> No, like, so, with a lot of bad jokes. Yeah. So the reason that I can never be an alcoholic is because I refuse to admit I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first step, so I'm never hitting it. So, all right, back to it. <laughs> um, so, and Larry, no, not Larry. Um, so Delea says, I met Sissy. Uh, we took a walk down to Stroud Valley Cove, and we came back around 10, and Sissy even agreed with it. She was like, yep, that's exactly what happened, every word of it. She would, she alibied the crap out of him and probably did some other stuff down by the cove. Uh, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, what are they doing down by the cove at Christmas, on Christmas Day? Come on. Everybody sees right through you, Delea. And sissy. It's butt stuff. <laughs> well, it's Christmas. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a Catholic neighborhood, you know? There's such... Oh, we don't know that because the, some of it, there's Presbyterian. That's and, true. Yeah, and I didn't really, like, look at the... Which 
part. I, I I always get confused which part is which. <laughs> See, it's the whole Catholic virgin thing. There are there are some girls who proclaim to be Catholic virgins. Uh, Ted Bundy's wife was a Catholic virgin, meaning she would take it up the butt, but she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't take it up the baby fun slide. <laughs> Yeah, she waited for that until after they were married in a courtroom, and then she visited him in jail, and yeah. that uh, happened. She managed to get pregnant by him after he was imprisoned. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyhow, back to uh, other murders. Um, <laughs> Omara, he's, he starts running a theory here. He's like, okay. And, and some important information to know for this theory is that in Ireland, starting in... 1927, it was illegal to dr- serve drinks in a pub on Christmas Day or Good Friday. In Ireland? It, I'm Christmas not... Day and Good Friday. In it's, Ireland. It's a religious thing. <laughs> That's why I said butt stuff. <laughs> it, listen, if you can make the Irish stop drinking, you can make a woman take it up the ass. They they couldn't make the Irish stop. They made it illegal, but that didn't mean that they stopped doing it. Really it really did not, apparently, because Amara's like, I bet what's happening is that there was some illegal drinking going on at Whalen's. The Gardai... I keep on wanting to do that because I, I want to pronounce it phonetically. The Gardi, um, who basically seemed to be lying to me, probably had partaken rather than doing their job and, and raiding the place and getting everybody out. And so they would lie, and Waylon, you know, he, he and, and every member of his family, including, guess what, his daughter, he has reason to lie because if somebody was killed there and it got out, guess who's going to lose his license and his pub, which was already, by the way, uh, not doing so great. So that's the theory he, he comes up with, is that the, in the process of drinking, you know, the, the, some sort of escapades happen, he doesn't know what yet, Griffin was killed, and they're all hiding it because... A, murder, and also B, uh, drinking <laughs> on Christmas Day. Two two very equal crimes, apparently. It's like the, the, the plot to Hot Fuzz too. <laughs> it really is. So, Sergeant Kulinani, uh, he is uh, the head of the Guardian Strad Valley. They question him, and, and he, was, he was a law and order type. He was not the type who would be found drinking at Wayland's on Christmas Day. He was the type who would round everybody up and say, get the hell out. And, you know, and he did actually twice on Christmas he's, Day, at he's least. He's a real Ultra Magnus about things. That's a little something for my Transformers listeners. We got a few Transformers listeners on the show. I, he was a real Ultra Magnus about it. I have noticed uh, sometimes we'll get new followers on Podbean, and I go and look at their profile, and I'm like, oh, yes, they're also the only other podcast <laughs> they follow is Scott's other one. I'm like, I know where they came from. Hi, Scott's fans. <laughs> I see you on Podbean. So, yeah, he, Kulinani had raided way at six o'clock and six thirty-five, which I love the determination. It's he was Irish. A, he was a real ultra Magnus about this. It's like, but the it's not it's not him. It's the fact that they got raided and then like five minutes later, everybody's back in there again. It's like, oh, we're back. It's like a high school party. That's what it is. You're not allowed to do this. The cops break it up and you just circle back around out of the woods, like. That's just what you did. Yeah. You're like, it's fine. They've left now. Let's try again. So Kulanani says, I did raid the place. I was there at 6 and 6.35, but I didn't see Larry or any of the other guardy. So he, he's, he's, he's either kind of breaking his law and orderness to uh, 
cover for his his brothers or he he's telling the truth we don't know but it, him being such a law and order type means it must have been a big deal if he did cover for them but not all of them were law and order types so a story came out that larry was actually drinking with officer dulia and officer frawley frawley lived right across the street from the post office actually the, he lived above the post office he lived above the post office across the street yes. from wayland yeah right so there was a story that came out that they were all drinking together decided to sneak over to Wayland's, saw the real Magnus, and snuck around back to get into Wayland's. So they went in through the back door, just like you were talking about. <laughs> I'm telling you, this whole town, it all comes around to butt stuff. <laughs> so they went around and, and went in the back gate so they wouldn't get caught to try to get to the pub. Yeah. So they're not all rule followers. Oh, absolutely not, Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they did find some more shenanigans as well. The, uh, Omar took a look at the logbooks for their patrols, and he's like, okay, so there's there's some patrols recorded that weren't actually taken, and there's some alterations of other patrols here. Something's not right. And there's also stories going around that the, the Guardi uh, who are involved in this are, are running around town leaning on all the witnesses. Anybody who hasn't told a story, they're going to them and saying, don't. Anybody that has told a story, they're going to them and saying, what'd you say? Do you think Sergeant Cullinane at this point, he, he gets a raise or a promotion or something because he's apparently the only honest guy on the apparently, force? Apparently, yeah. Right? Well, he's about to be the only guy on the well, force. Well, and then like as um, they're interviewing the police, they keep con- like contradicting each other's stories oh, and yeah. like, pointing fingers. I mean, you'd think for somebody that deals with criminals so often, they'd be better at it. No. No, 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 no. no, no. Here's, here's, here's the very sad truth of it. A lot of people get away with a lot of shit because police arrest them for stuff that isn't actually illegal. I had a friend who was a lawyer who said, if you ever want to find out about the law, the last person you should ask is a cop. Cops are not paid to know the law. They are paid to enforce it. You want to know about the law? You ask a lawyer. That is very true, yeah. So, uh, in this case, they were not following the law very much. Even Garda Frawley's wife said, Delea came to me and said, Hey, could you not tell Omara that you saw me with Larry? Little incriminating for Delea, don't you think? think so they basically uh gather up all the stradbelly guardi i don't know if colinani is is part of this or not because he does seem to be the only like straight and straight arrow of the bunch uh they transfer them out they're suspended with half pay they get warrants to uh grab their mail because that's the main (laughs) method of communication and they're like well they're they're probably still in cahoots they're probably going to be communicating back and forth like with you know their various stories and, and updates and they continue the questioning um, in Dublin. Um, the Guardi, even Omar himself, admitted that the Guardi were beat up during these interrogations. Quote from Omara, They were questioned, coaxed, abused, and a round ebony stick was brought into play in such a cruel manner that the yells could be heard in the nearby Phoenix Park. You think it's butt stuff? Butt stuff. That's now what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's in such a cruel <laughs> manner, and it's around at Jesus. Come on, like this, this is this guy's just begging for like the joke to be made of this. Round ebony stick wasn't a device; that was a dude they knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't tell me the truth, I'm gonna have to introduce you to a round ebony stick. Hey, how's it going? Do you think that, do you think that John Power and Ebony Stick were friends? Oh, you know it. You know it. <laughs> 
So yeah, as we said, their stories generally are just a mess. People are saying that, and, and there's so much hearsay and secondhand and thirdhand here. People are running around saying Patrick Whalen said that Larry was there that night at Whalen's pub, but Patrick himself tells Mary Griffin, Larry's wife, and the guardie that no one was there that night, which of course he has a very vested interest in that particular story. No, there were so few people there, it got raided twice. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a blatant lie if ever there was one. And speaking of blatant lies, two other people blew up Sissy's spot. Is, is that another butt stuff thing? I feel, I feel like was, that's a setup. This was after Delea blew it up. Um, and uh, they said, we saw her at the pub, but we didn't see Larry. However, these people were in the kitchen, and there was also the main pub area where they wouldn't necessarily. So Sissy is now, that, that particular alibi uh, for at least Sissy, if not Delea, is kind of being destroyed. Then on January 23rd, we have laborers Jim Fitzgerald and Thomas Corbett. Uh, they're brought in for questioning. Now remember, this is England. So this is England. Isn't England the whole? The politics and when things belong to other places, especially England, is very. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it's, remember. It's Ireland. It's Britannia. It's <laughs> Brit let's just let's just go with it's Ireland. It's Ireland. So laborers. Legally has to be spelled with a U. I did that too. <laughs> I did it without even thinking about it. Right? I deliberately took the U's out. I was like, no. Word squiggled under it and I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> no, everything's right here. <laughs> go, go Irish. Come on, word. <laughs> Keep up with me. So Fitzgerald, um, well, you know, it's, it's Ireland. I'm sure they love their tea and Fitzgerald spills some of it. Mm -hmm. He said some of it. He spilled all the tea, <laughs> some of which may or may not have been real tea. Uh, some may have been some of that counterfeit tea. Uh, he says, "Well, okay." So he's like, "We were in the kitchen. Me and Tommy were in the kitchen at uh, Wayland's. Sissy gave us a couple drinks, and then we heard some singing out in the bar area. So we go to check it out, and there we find Gardy Delea and Murphy." And then there's a small crowd of other locals. There's around really about 20 other people all together, which makes it so confounding that <laughs> the truth can never be really known. Um, and he also says that at one point he saw a man with a postman's hat. So most likely Larry Griffin, unless they were, you know, playing like dress up <laughs> with his hat. Um, and uh, he says what happened was three crowns fell out of Larry Griffin's pocket. And as this gentleman, loosely, uh, Ned Morrissey, who is known as a bit of a pugilist. He's a boxer. He loves to punch things. Another one. <laughs> They're Irish. Yeah, yeah. Pugilist. Another way of saying person. All right. So, so just to add to your story. So the money fell out of Larry's pocket. And when he was coming out of the bathroom, he actually fell three times, which is going to come into play in, in a minute. In a minute, yeah. So the second time he fell, he dropped the money. The third time he fell, he split his head open. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And basically, it, 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 he, he hit the stove. Mm -hmm. And his forehead split just across the center. And Ned Morrissey grabs the money and buys a round. He's like, hey, free money, free beer, here we go, free whiskey, whatever. We've known that guy. He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's well, that guy. Well, he did very kindly roll the postman over and be like, get up! Yeah. <laughs> like I said, he's an asshole. And then Larry does wake up a little bit, and he argues some with Morrissey about the money. 
he seems to be able to get to his feet, maybe. Um, the, the, the story, as it's told, is still a little cloudy, even if it's the, mo- though it's the most clarity we've gotten so far. And Morrissey trips him, and then that's pretty much it for Larry. He's already fallen a whole bunch. He's, he's hit his head real bad, and now he has another fall, and, and that's pretty much it as, as far as the story goes. Yeah, Jim Fitzgerald says that on that tripping of Griffin, he actually struck his head on the corner of the stove. Now, I'm unclear as to whether it was one of the initial falls, as Amber said, or whether it was the tripping, as you said, because the story is kind of told in a way that it could be either. It's very, the the language, there's a direct quote, like it's right on the Wikipedia article, um, from Jim Fitzgerald's uh, statement, and it's very unclear which it is. It's very unclear. The series of events is hard to follow. Um, See, now the article I found, actually, the way that, that they had it laid out, that Jim had explained it, is, th- th- so this happened... Postman gets knocked out. His head is bleeding from when he fell. Mm -hmm. He gets up. He realizes his money is gone. He gets into a fight with Ned. Ned is quoted as to have beat him senseless Mm -hmm. and then tripped him where he hit his head again. And I think that uh, in in Fitzgerald's uh, statement, he was being, he was downplaying a little bit because uh, his his wording was uh, Ned jostled him. Yeah, the that's, actual... that's not uh, that's not oh. beating him senseless. But I think the uh, the truth of it probably was if somebody died, then beating him senseless was probably. I have happened. the actual statement here. Yeah, go ahead. So three half crowns fell from the postman. No, and no okay. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was going to stop you. You knew it. <laughs> three half crowns fell from the postman, and Ned Morrissey picked them up and stood a drink as far as it went. The postman himself fell on his face in his hands. He fell against the bar towards the door. And against the stove, he should have been hurt. His forehead struck the stove, and he bled some, but not much. His forehead was split across the center. By the way, center, R-E at the end. Yes. Because Ireland. (laughs) After striking the stove, he dropped to the ground. He never spoke after falling. But then there's more after that where he does speak. (laughs) So it's all very confusing. Yeah. And, And that whole he fell three times thing... The way that it's described in Fitzgerald's testimony, or that's not the testimony, sorry, the statement, mm-hmm. because the testimony is very different, yes. um, is it, it, that fall could be describing him just kind of tipping, tilting, and then falling onto the stove. It could have been one fall that was kind of like yeah. three moves. So it's, it really depends on how you, how you, I don't even want to say translate it, how you... For our Naked Gun fans, it's a real Nordberg moment. <laughs> Remember, it wasn't O.J. Simpson. That was Nordberg. Well, we know something <laughs> definitely happened, okay, at well, least. Okay, well, Fitzgerald actually went on to say that the two cops he was with, the entire Whelan family, and Ned Morrissey, and three other people put the body in the car and drove away. Officer Dulia took care of the bike. We should also note that in this group was local head teacher Thomas Cashin. So uh, we're not just talking about a bunch of randos. Um, so, yeah, it's basically um, <laughs> Waylon is he's freaking out about the whole thing because this could shut him down. Having you know, a dead body and the Christmas Day drinking, the Christmas Day drinking having resulted in a dead body. This whole situation is his, his nightmare. And so Morrissey, this is all Morrissey's idea, according to Fitzgerald. He's like, let's just hide the body and then there's no problem. This is going to be fun. It'll be, it'll be like Easter on Christmas. Yeah, and the thing is, is that while they're making this plan, the whole 20 so or so people that I mentioned earlier is hearing all of this. They're hearing this whole plan being made to stash the dead body that just was made dead. Let, let me put it to you this way. I'm in a bar and I hear a bunch of cops... Talk about how they're going to hide a dead body. Yeah. 
I'm gonna shut the fuck up. That is true. That is true. Especially if these cops, um, the uh, Strad Valley is not a big town. No, they they were one able to street. No. Exactly, it means one street. Their postman had a bicycle, and honestly, it probably was unnecessary. The bicycle was probably just there to get him from his town over to Strad Valley. Yeah, and no, these cops know where I live. The cops are planning on hiding a dead body. Shit, I'm not going to say a fucking word until I move. And even Cashin, the local head teacher, he had the only car in the village. So guess whose car they used to uh, take the body away in? Yep. The only one in the village. He, he probably, all this time, he's like, I'm so cool. I got the only car in town. And then there's a dead body and everybody's looking at him. He's I like, got oh, the only car in town. <laughs> well, and, and Fitzgerald actually, after giving this initial statement, asked for protective custody. He knew he was going to need it. Because like you said, a bunch mm-hmm. of cops are talking about hiding a body. Nobody wants to say anything. Exactly. (laughs) And so the minister for justice did tell the guardy, he said, okay, take him, stash him in in Waterford Garda Station as a state's witness, and um, don't spend more than three shillings a day on it. (laughs) They even put a budget on this thing. Because there wasn't really such a thing as protective custody at the time. This was kind of a new idea, but yeah, he was, uh, as far as I know, but he was pretty scared. And so... um, (laughs) All those people that Fitzgerald said were there, deny, deny, deny. Because they know what's good for them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and even at Corbett, who he's saying to the cops, he's saying, we weren't even able to get into Wayland's. Uh, we went down to... It wasn't open. It, I don't know what you're talking about. That, no, Nobody served anybody anything there when it was rated twice at 6 and 6.35. There's no bar there. <laughs> That's a library. Drink. That's a church. <laughs> Um, so he's like, we couldn't get in. We went down to the other bar, O'Reilly's. Let's implicate them. They were serving. And then we we went to some place called the hall, which doesn't actually seem to be a bar. It seems to be maybe somebody's home. It's weird. And there's some card playing and fighting, you know, Christmas day stuff. That's what you do on Christmas day. You play cards. If you're Irish, yes. (laughs) That's what we always did on Christmas. Is that not normal? I am so sorry for all of our Irish listeners. (laughs) But you've done it to yourselves. (laughs) No, like, I'm, I'm a quarter Irish, and this sounds like my family's Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. The odd thing is... Is that not normal? <laughs> no? No. Oh. Even in my family, it's not normal. <laughs> okay. And my family's fucked. The odd thing is that they never talked to Thomas Cashin, the man whose car they supposedly took the body away in, Oh, they couldn't catch him. He was in a car driving away. <laughs> they couldn't catch They're on bicycles. <laughs> yeah. His wife does alibi him and says he was here all day, um, but they still take his car as evidence. So it's like they never talk to him. I bet he's just like, yeah, okay, just don't talk to me. We'll, we'll be okay. You, you just stay over there. I'll stay over here and we're, we'll be fine. They take his car as evidence. Uh-huh. Wink. So the Guardi also uh, get the stove at Wayland's. Uh, they get a coal scuttle that has some possible blood stains on it and a few other miscellaneous items, including... I feel like they were just being dicks. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm taking your car, I'm taking your stove. <laughs> well, the stove kind of feels like it's important since he... It's probably know, important to a it. pub, too. This keg of yeah, whiskey true. is evidence. Yeah. <laughs> and also um, some other miscellaneous things and... I had a question here. It does get answered soon enough, so hold your horses. Ladies' stockings. Just wait. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. So they also, the searches were pretty extensive. Oh, you guys didn't see that? 
I did not see that. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah, we'll get I there. We'll not. get there. I don't know. I'm just thinking about Lady Saki. Yeah, you keep thinking about that. I like just the stroke ni- your thing. Like and no, please don't stroke nihil- your thing. No. The, <laughs> <laughs> the sloth. <laughs> That's, That's what we're calling better. it now. <laughs> it's not better. <laughs> so they did. <clears throat> I'm gesturing at it over there, but nobody can see me. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna show them. I'm just gonna let them, let them imagine. <coughs> oh my god! I'm sorry. So they did some really. They went hardcore on the searches. They went to the abandoned copper mines. They dredged them. They uh, went down with some grappling hooks. Uh, Scott, I believe you could probably have helped with that after White Elephant. I could, I could. <laughs> you got some grappling hooks? Christy and her husband got me a grappling hook for Christmas because... It was awesome! It really was awesome! Our White Elephant gifts are the best. I actually have one right here. <laughs> it is a glass with that... Amber's daughter on the side giving the finger and says, Fuck you! So I had these made because my daughter was showing me her pretty ring. And uh, it was a beautiful ring. (laughs) They were fantastic. We burst out laughing when we opened those. Okay. So they they searched the abandoned copper mines. Uh, They dredged them. They went down with grappling hooks. They did find some bodies of animals. Pigs, goats, and dogs. Yeah. Why? I know, right? They they just wander in, fall down. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Ugh. Like, I could see... Okay, so there was a fair number of abandoned mines in and around Salisbury. Mm-hmm. And if uh, if you had a farm, and you didn't want the locals knowing that one of your cows was sick, you would oh dear. shoot it, and floop, into the abandoned mine it would go. That is weird. Yeah. It was, there was a weird stigma because a lot of, a lot of farmers in my area would actually sell meats and, and so food products. So if you have a cow, all your cows are sick, nobody wants your meat. You got it. Why are you doing this tonight? <laughs> Everybody wants my meat. Thank you very much. I'm not trying. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps coming out wrong is all it is. So anyhow... Um, what didn't come out wrong was the diver who they brought in because he was like, nope, nope, I'm, this is too dangerous. He, he got, one article said cold feet and I was like, that feels like a weird diving pun. I don't know. Yeah. Because, okay. So it's, it's December, January. Yeah. And Ireland, like it's, it's winter It's going to be cold. Yeah. And like, there was actually, I, I saw one thing that said that it actually started snowing the, the day after he went missing at, at like 6am or something. So like, it's cold. So I'm sure a diver at that time, because they don't have the technology we have now, is going to be like, I'm not getting in that. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was probably like, I'm scared. No, I'm really cold. <laughs> he got cold feet. Yeah. Whenever you see a scared diver, my dad said it's really a sad sight. They, um, <laughs> I just wanted to, to recommend for anybody who hasn't listened to it, uh, Criminal episode number 33. It's called Deep Dive. Uh, and uh, it involves a diver and the La Brea Tar Pits. Oh my God! Yep. How do you even? You need to listen to it. You need to listen to it. I I intend to. I'm so, interested. Yep. Okay. Criminal episode thirty three and criminal episodes. Amber, I know you don't have much time for for listening to podcasts, but they're they're pretty short. They run about thirty minutes ish. So, and they're fascinating. They're really good. So anyhow, um, uh, back well, to if, it. If they don't swear as much as us, I could probably listen to it around. Oh the no, place. there's really not yeah. not really any swearing. Um, <laughs> Just traumatizing evidence yes 
So they go down to Strawbelly Cove and they excavate about four feet. They find nothing. Uh, and hey, if you were buried recently, guess what? You're back! No, not as a zombie, just as an exhumed corpse because they brought up all the graves of recently buried people just to see if maybe Larry was hanging around in the coffins. So kind of that, a weird idea. That is a great idea, actually, because that was one of my ideas of places to hide the bodies. <laughs> of course. Because, I mean, most people wouldn't do that, except for apparently the Irish, so I get it honestly. <laughs> they even <laughs> checked various gardens and ponds around town, including at a local convent. You know, those shifty nuns. I went to Catholic school. They are shifty. I don't trust I them. get it. I bet, I bet there's been plenty of nuns that have killed children and hid the bodies. There's a lot of secrets in those habits. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so the day after Fitzgerald tells his story, uh, the they come and arrest Morrissey and Cashin for murder, disposing of a body with intent to obstruct a coroner's inquest, and taking away a post bag and postman's cap because these items were uh, the postman postmaster general's property. So you 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 don't take those. No. So it, if it's anything like the our U.S. postal inspectors, you don't mess with that. No, you do not. <laughs> no, the you fucking do not. U.S. Postal Service caught the Unabomber. Yeah, you do right? not fuck with yeah. those guys. Yeah. They were like, you know what? The IRS got Capone. We got to step it up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then on January 26th, there are more arrests. Patrick Whalen, owner of Whalen's Pub, George Cummins, and uh, Patrick Cunningham. C Patrick Cunningham. Very soon after that, Bridget Whalen, uh, who is Patrick's wife, her daughter and son, Nora and James, somehow Sissy, as far as I can tell, never got brought in. That's because she was doing all the butt stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then on February 3rd, Gardy, Delea, and Murphy are arrested. We have a couple of preliminary hearings, and here's really, like, they, they, they get a little boring, so here's the important stuff. Um, on February <laughs> you. 7th, you're welcome. I did a few, Amber. Uh, on February 7th, uh, they really are, are relying on Fitzgerald's testimony. That's, that's uh, you know, they don't have a body. They need to prove that they have a case in order to actually get these people to trial, and they've arrested, like, 10 people, so, like, there's a lot riding on it here. And so when he goes to testify, his story becomes pretty much the same as Corbett's story. It's basically, you know, uh, no, didn't go to Whalen's. Uh, cards and fighting <laughs> is basically what it is. And they actually show him. They hold up his signed statement that the, the, they Omara took. And he's like, yeah, that, that's mine. But I may have told some lies. I don't know which ones were. I don't know. What's the truth and what's lies? Let's get philosophical here for a minute. Yes. Do you know, do you know, it occurs to me that really, you know, all the atoms and molecules that made up Larry Griffin still exist someplace. So, I mean, should I even really be here? <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of... Excuse me. <laughs> That kind of blows up a big hole in the proceedings, and so they have another preliminary hearing on February 14th, and they have a pathologist testify. And the pathologist is like, well, I did find some definite human blood. That's the good news. It's in an Irish pub. <laughs> yeah. I found seven or eight types of different human blood. I found 18 teeth <laughs> under the counter. Oh, so you guys haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Ladies' stockings. There's blood on the stockings. Women's menstrual. <laughs> oh shit! I forgot you guys bleed and don't die. That's the only no, definite. No, not all of us. <laughs> That's the only definite human blood he found was on. He called. They call it ladies' sanitary items. I'm imagining the, the stockings. Mm. Yeah. So they were just being weirdly Victorian. 
Did they like walk around and be like, let me have your panties from the night of Christmas? I mean, like, <laughs> it seems like they just busted in and took whatever the hell that they wanted or had a warrant for. Take these panties, this stove, your car. <laughs> this kid looks nice. Do you know how to mow a lawn, son? Do you have any porn? <laughs> Because I'm look, all I got is this picture of Lady Godiva. Yeah, <laughs> I'm real hard up, dudes. <laughs> I well, mean, she's good looking, but you got to have some variety. If you don't have any porn, I'm taking your camera and your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so there's more hearings. It's a lot of blah, blah, blah. The prosecution is just keeps on stretching it out because they say, we're going to find the body soon. We're going to find the body soon. But eventually they have to admit that at least temporary defeat, and they say, okay, withdraw the charges, they release everyone, and there's a big just blow-up of cheers from all the family and friends who had gathered for all the all the accused. After this, it is a storm of litigation for years. You know, I thought Americans were so happy. You Irish, you have one up on us. Holy mother of Jesus. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, I have got one, two, three pages of litigation, and I can boil it down for you because I'll, most of it was against newspapers, mm -hmm. and usually, uh, the uh, original defendants in the case, so the people who are originally accused, usually they would win or settle out of court. <laughs> And uh, Tommy Corbett also sued, but he sued, uh, he brought litigation up against the, I don't know if you want to call it sued or not, but, but against the Guardi. He says they tried to bribe me to get me to tell them, quote, the truth. Remember, Tommy Corbett is the one who Fitzgerald, you know, he said, oh, T Tommy Corbett knows. And Tommy Corbett was like, eh, nope, not, not, don't that's not, don't about. know what you're talking about. Jim Powers. <laughs> He says, uh, they tried to bribe me. They took me to the cliffs and said they would throw me off and into the ocean if I didn't tell them the truth. Um, and this is, this Guardi would be like O'Mara's bunch. We're not talking about Delea and Murphy and Sullivan and that bunch. They brought out round ebony stick and said if I didn't tell him what was going on, my butthole would look like a pineapple with a cherry in the center. Worse. They shoved a gun in his mouth and said, if you don't tell us the truth, we'll shoot you. <laughs> or as no, one article I, I don't put think it, that's worse. <laughs> Uh, kind of worse. As one article put it, they rattled him about with a gun. I'm like, uh, I think we're once again downplaying. Depends on what your sexual proclivities are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. And uh, so the jury... And if it's Christmas or not. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> the jury awarded him a thousand pounds. The guardy involved all had to resign, so they couldn't pay the money. Eventually, his solicitor gets it down to 125 pounds, and literally, it's like a huge celebration. Like, everybody's taking Tommy out for drinks and bringing him whiskey, and like all this fellow defendants. It's like a big reunion. It's kind of weird. Um, and as far as uh, aftermaths of Wayland's Pub, well, that had actually been about to be shut down. There was there was a lot of debt there. The business was not so great. Um, but from all the litigation proceeds and also, uh, Thomas Cashin gave them a little, you know, float them a little loan to keep the pub going. They were able to uh, continue the pub and it was passed down to Patrick Whalen's son and then passed down to his son. And it is still in operation today. Whoa. Which is crazy. Well, and here's the fun thing. Um, so they're still not doing interviews in this town. And one of the reasons given as as to why they would not is because the Waylands would sue 
if an interview was given. They did, in fact, threaten to sue one particular journalist who came to town and she said, she said or I can't remember if it was a he or she, but they said they were basically run out of town and had not one but two threats of litigation from the Whalens. And that yeah. was in the in the 90s. <laughs> we don't take kindly to newspapers around it. No. Oh, I wonder if we're going to get sued. <laughs> There's other podcasts that have done it, so yeah. at least a couple. No, I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, Press. there's still like to this day, if you go to that town and try to ask a question, they'll be like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Then, literally, <laughs> literally, in the '80s, a journalist went uh, around Wayland's. He was looking to do a story about it, and he was like, "So, was it upstairs or downstairs?" And somebody, he, he doesn't specify who, whether it was one of the Whalens or just some, some rando who's, everybody in this town is really invested in, in, in never talking about this, said, I think it might be a good idea if you fuck off out of here. <laughs> so, that, that was, happened. Uh, I love this guy's name. That was uh, journalist Brandon O'Hather. Oh, yes, that's a good one. I like the fact that his mother couldn't decide on whether to name him Brandon <laughs> or Brandon, so she named him both, Brandon. <laughs> so, as to other people's uh, involved in this, their, their, their fates... Uh, Cashin, he had a pretty sucky record at the school. Like, you read through the list of things. Like, he, like, failed the, the certain examinations for years in a row, and then the couple years after that, he just didn't take them. Um, but he they it, he was suspended after the charges came about, and then they kind of sent some, some letters asking him about the accusations, and it really looked like they were trying to fire him, but he raised holy hell and got reinstated and died in 1976. Fitzgerald, this is interesting. He got uh, some work in Galway, and actually it was one of the Garda that was brought in from the case, one of the out-of-town Garda, got him the work in Galway because he couldn't get work around town. They blacklisted his ass. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and eventually he was interviewed again, and actually not too long after, he was interviewed again by the Garda, and he basically was like, look, Tommy Corbett told me this whole story and that's the one I told the cops and Tommy Corbett got it from his boss who was one of the people who was at Whalen's on Christmas night and so he basically one way or the other either he told that whole story and it was true but third hand or he told that whole story and it was a game of telephone we really we have no idea he died in 1961 in a Waterford home for the elderly poor which is a very sad thing the um, what's more sad though is like the only information they had was his parents, his place of birth, his death, his pension book, and it said no friends. Oh, yeah, as like contacts. So like he died very lonely. Oh, just sad. And it really is. It really is. They did manage to raise over two hundred pounds for the Griffins, uh, especially from the post office staff. Again, the 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 brothers in stamps. <laughs> I'm going to call it. Um, not much of that money came in from Strad Bali. They weren't really looking to help the Griffins, it seems. Mary passed away in 1958. And on the tombstone, there was a tribute to Larry Griffin. And I have the whole text. I, I read um, the bit with uh, the children earlier. Uh, so I'll just do the first part. Uh, in loving memory of Lawrence Griffin, Kilmec Thomas died at Strad's died at Stradbali, 25th December, 1929. His wife, Mary, and their daughters, names Alice, names Chrissy, and Jack. And just this past year, on December 17th, 2019, so we're talking like two and a half months ago, mm -hmm. uh, the former post office in Kilmac Thomas 
They had a memorial plaque made uh, for Griffin. They unveiled it, and even members of his family attended the unveiling. It was very, very sweet. Um, the Garda released a five to 10,000 page file on the case in 2009. Or sorry, yeah, 5,000 to 10,000, not five to 10,000, but you, you knew what I meant. Um, this was pretty interesting. I never found any closure on this, so I'm betting that nothing was found. But uh, in 2012, they did a search uh, on the area uh, because there, there was a spot where there'd been some road work going on, uh, some road being repaired or replaced right around Christmas 1929. They brought in some radar and magnetic ma machinery. And at first they announced it and then it was in the paper. And then you find a later article that says, yeah, that's being postponed because people are coming in all from all around and it's becoming a big circus. In 2012, for a, a, a probable murder that happened in 1929. But that was one of the biggest rumors was that he was buried under that road. And that's a thing that, like, it does, you do find that either as, as frequent rumors in criminal cases or it actually happens because you, you have a hard time finding it. But you find, you know, like, people will be like, look, they're going to be paving over that road pretty soon. They're going to be putting in a parking lot, whatever. Let's bury the body there and pretty soon nobody will find it. What, who was it? Um... King Richard's skull was found in a parking lot right. in Britain. Yeah, right. <laughs> they found King Richard II's skull. <laughs> like it, that's the craziest thing. He like, had two skulls. King Richard II's skull. Second <laughs> <laughs> skull. Enunciate. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I have, aside from um, an incredibly awful burning eye. <laughs> this was yeah. This was one of those ones where it's like. It's a huge secret that isn't really a secret. Yeah. yeah. We all know what happened. Yeah. There are some other, like, theories. Like, everybody in town seems to have a theory. Some people think that it wasn't the bar thing at all, that he actually may have died, like, that he may have gotten hurt at the bar and then taken over to the police station where he then, you know, died either from his injuries or got up and stumbled. Somebody, there was an article that started with somebody, like, who, who had been mentioned it in town and somebody was like oh yeah i know exactly what happened he was injured in the bar the guard took him over to their station he got up from his bed and he fell down some stairs into the basement cracked his head open and died you know and then we just left him down there yeah it's yeah fine whatever <laughs> i've got the theory i'm from Stradbali. my theory is why don't you go fuck yourself <laughs> yeah that's pretty much the attitude yeah, it really is it even really, today which yeah, is kind of impressive it really really is it is amazingly impressive like, I feel like they have a cult, and they all get around a fire once a year, and they just, like, chant odd things. The Wicker Man. Yeah. It's the village from the Wicker Man. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a special little place, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else? That's all. That's it. Okay, so, um, I would like to give a shout out to Hallie. Hallie, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing it right could be Haley, but it, it reads like Hallie to me, uh, left us a very nice comment on Podbean. It really was. Thank you so much. And yeah, that was awesome. Hallie, we think you're incredible, too. Aww. Hallie, like, binged us. I know. <laughs> like, a couple weeks. Girl after my own heart there. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, we are so appreciative. So uh, go over to uh, Podbean if you're on there and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear from you on uh, Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a comment uh, and, a, and a review and a five-star would be nice when nothing wrong with that or tell, tell us what you think happened to the missing postman of Strahd Bali um, uh, and also on Stitcher uh, you can also come over to our social media and say hi or leave us any uh, theories you have about cases we've done potential you know cases that we might do we are on Facebook Twitter and Instagram as old timey crimey on Facebook it's the group not the page 
Uh, and uh, also we have our Patreon uh, where you can be a flatfoot, you can be a gumshoe, or you can be a private dick. dick. Sing with us, Amber. Sing! <laughs> nope. Nope. You gotta get her drunker. Uh, so yeah, we have lots of uh, bonuses. We've been really enjoying the old tiny crimeys lately. We're about to record one in a few minutes. I'm super excited to hear what Scott is bringing to the table this week. Ooh. So, so the best part of old tiny crimeys is, is only one of us knows what it's about and the other two just gang up on that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> So, oh, my body is ready. <laughs> there's also, if uh, if you're not the long-term relationship type, if you just want to leave a buck on the nightstand for uh, the good time you had last night, <laughs> that is absolutely fine. You can uh, go over to PayPal and send us that buck or five or ten or whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to put a, a, an upper limit on it. Uh, with our email address of oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. So I think think that's all of my stuff. I think you should donate up to your life savings. <laughs> yes, that is the upper limit. <laughs> up to your life savings and retirement. Uh, so, yeah, uh, weekend plans. Uh, I am making some plans. I think I can say this now. I am going to uh, go for my realtor's license. Nice! So, I am I'm making those plans. I'm kind of doing research. And uh, even doing a little bit of bartering. Uh, somebody wants drum lessons who happens to be a real estate agent. Ooh, there you go. So I'm doing a little bit <laughs> of bartering. Indeed. I, I wish they'd bring bartering back. I feel like we need more bartering. <laughs> I feel we need more buttering, quite honestly. Butter's fantastic. If you want more bartering, Amber, you should really join the art world because I know that Steve, my photographer friend, um, he comes back from art shows every time with something new. Like I have a, I have a raw silk shirt he got me for my birthday one year that he traded a, a, a canvas for. Like he just, he always comes back. He has all kinds of art all over his house that is from art shows. They just, they barter all the time. It's crazy. It'd be great if, like, Patreon went, yeah, you can do $5 a month or an apple. Yes. <laughs> or send us a nude painting of yourself. I'd... Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe. Right that. Maybe. That's a lot of work, you know? Yeah. But, like, are we talking, like, artsy painting or graphic painting? Anything they want. They're the ones painting. It's the artist's choice. All right. So, Amber, what are you up to? Goatsy in velvet. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> no! Do not send that. Oh my gosh. Um, so this weekend I have work and I have, um, what am I doing? I'm taking out my mom and my daughters on Sunday and then I work Monday and then Tuesday I promised the two littlest ones that I would take them to a movie Ah. because I'm an idiot and I keep doing these (laughs) things to myself and like going places where I'm outnumbered by toddlers um, so we'll see if they forget about it. I also have a backup. I have two giant rubber balls in the backseat of my car. So if they forget about the movie, I'm going to be like, hey, balls. And then I did to it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Christy? Um, I'm not looking beyond my 1115 a.m. appointment at the eye doctor tomorrow. Really? Not looking beyond that. I'm not, that. Looking, not beyond looking beyond that. that. And that's partially because my eye is filled with liquid. Um, well, that's where it should be. <laughs> nope, nope. It's more liquid than it's supposed to be there. I guarantee it. So, so yeah. Um, but it is spring break, so I'm going to be doing uh, some catching up on housework. We have a Mount Everest of laundry in the basement, um, as much as my back allows me to. And... Uh, Working on uh, just general podcast stuff and uh, catching up on um, 
I'm going to be my little old lady self and cross stitch. Right. Uh, and maybe teach me Instagram. Yes, I'm going to teach Amber Instagram so she can be our, I, our, our Instagram bitch. I don't know how to do that thing. I'll get you. I'll get you. I got you. All right, so that has been us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We had a really interesting time talking about the missing postman of Stradbale. That's the most fancy I'll say it. Um, I'm not going to try to do anything. <laughs> so I'm just not. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. See ya. My sources for this week are Wikipedia, Drunk Mysteries, and Thinking Sideways. We miss you. Come back. Uh, my sources were Wikipedia, DrunkMysteries.com, and an article from the Irish Times by Connor Kane. My sources for this week are uh, Drunk Mysteries with... Let's, let's say names, guys. Mm. I'd want them to say our names. You know, they'd only have Amber, Christie, and Scott. <laughs> ben, oh, ben Potesky and John Nassiger. Um, the Wikipedia, of course, uh, the Irish Times, Thomas McCarthy's article there, Pat Flynn's article on independent IE, find a grave, found Mary Griffin's grave there, uh, Connor Kane, also on the Irish Times, and Mary Ellen Breen on the Waterford News. Fantastic. For the longest time, you were petting a stuffed animal. I thought there was a cat on the bed. No, no, no. I was <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I know, but I thought it was Hemingway for some reason. I'm like, oh, he's just petting the cat. So part of part of like my PTSD therapy is what's called a totem, and my totem is actually like a lot of like uh, vets use smooth rocks, and it's just something that they like rub against to kind of keep them ground the situation. Mine is a piece of velour. So you like soft things. I do like soft you things. Do. That's and fine. My, There's nothing vel- wrong with that. My velour feels very much like slothy, <laughs> and I am super stressed this week. So he's getting molested. <laughs> he he is kind of getting molested. It's it's um. All right, so that's yeah. uncomfortable. We just got our first patron. Five dollar a month level. Ooh. <laughs> Boom. Bump it! Bump it! Bump it! Nice. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You're allowed. I'm not crying or laughing. I'm crelaughing. Crelaughing? <laughs> if you would like to see Christy crelaugh some more, <laughs> go be a patron. It's either that or lying. <laughs> That's crazy.